welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. We specialize in author interviews, audiobook, and podcast production, as well as the prestigious Firebird Book Awards and the Positive Change Podcast Awards. We also feature our fun and short podcast that allows authors to record their own writing tip to share on our very own Boom Bang Oh My Gosh Wow podcast. And you can find that along with the rest of our offerings at speakuptalkradio.com. But right now, it's a happy day. I'm here to share a recent Firebird Book Award-winning author with you. She is Angie Elliston, and her winning book is titled Phoenix Bound. An adoptive mom of 13 shares her struggle raising traumatized children. Angie and her husband have been married over 20 years. Together, they have adopted from the foster care system, adoption disruption, internationally and privately. Their oldest child at adoption placement was 16, and their youngest was a newborn. They are committed to one another and the challenges of adopting children from an array of backgrounds and trauma. Through the years, Angie and her husband have adopted five dogs, a pot-bellied pig, and a cat. They also have fostered many puppies, preparing them for loving homes. She and her husband have a compassionate heart for people and animals, but most of all, a passion for justice and the hurting, which has led her to writing her books. There's a lot more to find out, so uh, let's get started. Welcome to the network, Angie. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I love just that little brief background. Obviously, a loving heart, but a lot of work, so let's get into some of that. But before we do, congratulations on the book win. That was exciting. Thank you. I was very excited. Yeah, you know, you, you put yourself out there, and you never know who's going to read it and what the reaction's going to be. So I always commend authors for submitting their book to a book award contest. Yes, I think that's the most difficult part of being an author or any time when you're putting yourself out there. The fear of rejection, the fear of what people are going to say, and some of the negative reviews can really get you down, especially when they don't even make sense. And you're like, did you read my book? Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to handle in your heart, you know, because this is your story. It's not just a novel that you made up. It's not, you know, if this is your life and people are, you know, rejecting it or saying negative comments. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very difficult. It really is difficult. I know personally, you can get 50 nice comments and one that's not so nice, and that's the only thing you think about. So maybe it's our problem. We need to just say, hey, you know, just drop that and let's let's go with what we know in our heart. Easier said than done. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I agree. And that's why I write down, like, even if people speak it to me or write it to me in an email or on a message, I will write it down for myself so that I can keep it on hand and reread it. And sometimes I didn't even remember it. And I was like, wow, that was a really good (laughs) review. (laughs) That's actually a really smart idea. You know, they talk about positive affirmations that you should say to yourself every day, and half the time you're making them up. But it would be really kind of neat to take what you've heard in the past, and instead of just deleting that email eventually, is to write it down, like you said, and then go back. And years later, it'll be like a brand new, wow, someone actually said that. (laughs) Exactly. And it's important to remember those good moments in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are a lot of them. And like I said, we tend to dwell on the negative. So lesson learned, folks, this is, this is, we're teaching, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Before we get into your book, maybe just give us a peek into your past, your journey that led you to to write the book. Well, the struggles became real, you know. We adopted because we had a big heart for children and, you know, I was so young, I don't even remember how old I was. I say I was eight, but I don't know for sure. But I was very young, and I just knew that I wanted to adopt children because not everybody knows that somebody loves them. Not everybody knows in the world that they have a place to go at the end of the day or a place to go at Christmas time. And I just had a real heart for those people, and I wanted to make sure all of these kids knew that somebody cared about their future, somebody cared about them. And, you know, you start out with a big heart, but then as you go along, you realize that they have a great deal of trauma and loss and rejection underneath that cute little face. And, you know, you're left in the wind. You're left by yourself. And nobody understands because, you know, they have the typical children, you know, the biological children that they gave birth to. And, you know, they've known them since birth. And, you know, they know who they are because they've got their genes. Mm -hmm. And they don't have that trauma that's underlying. And even the doctors don't understand because it's a real specialized area. You know, even social workers, we would reach out to social workers and they didn't understand reactive attachment disorder and typical things that adopted children might struggle with. And it just completely surprised me that we were left as an island. We were left completely feeling alone and confused and, you know, what's going on here? And the struggles were just crazy. And we're just like bouncing in the ocean during a storm, you know? Wow. Angie, you would think that it makes sense that when somebody goes through the system, let's say, and, and wants to adopt children, that all of this would be part of the preparation work that, that, that there would be some education. Maybe there is, I don't know, some kind of an education or something to prepare you. Like you said, this reaction that children would have, did you receive any training on this? Oh, sure. You know, they put you through, what, eight weeks of classes or more, and they have trainings available. And But it seemed like the more I learned individually with books and things like that, like extra books, the more I learned, the more other people didn't understand that worked with these children. And I just got confused, like, wait, what are you talking about, you know? But, yeah, we had to take classes and they talked about, you know, children's unique personalities and the challenges that you might face and, you know, how deep these hurts are, but they don't, they, they also like continue with, oh, give them stability and love and structure and you'll be all set as a family, just love on them and, and they will know they belong. But trauma doesn't just go away upon fostering or adopting. You know, trauma is underlying, and it can sit and wait for, you can do well with a child for five, seven, nine years, and all of a sudden you're struggling like you've never struggled before, and you're wondering why did this child turn on you because you had such a good relationship. Mm -hmm. And so the trauma 
kind of dictates their behaviors and dictates what they start doing and acting like. And the the classes were very good in some ways, and it would teach you about the trauma that they might have faced, and they'll give you little scenarios without giving names. And, oh, we had a three-year-old boy, and they would talk about, you know, how he smeared poop in the car. But then they didn't go anywhere with that. They didn't tell you what do you do about it because it doesn't just stop. It's not once. (laughs) It's until they're 15 years old, you know, like what, what more? And they kind of like cut their training short, you know, Mm -hmm. and they, they dwell on the fact that love and structure and stability, that's what's going to fix these kids. And it's so much deeper. You know, if you've had any trauma in your life or trials that really have so deep in your heart, you know, yeah. you know, it doesn't just go away. It might pop up when you're sitting on the couch with your husband. You know, it might pop up when you smell something or hear something. And and it happens in good ways, too. You know, I'll go for a walk in the desert and the breeze will be in such a way that it reminds me of being on the ocean shore and, and walking along and, you know, it, just good memories it brings you back to. Well, it's the same way with trauma. It can bring you back. It can bring these kids back to things that were so horrible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we do good things. We send our kid to camp and we're so excited and the kid is excited and they come back a completely different person because something happened at camp where it brought up all the trauma And not only the trauma in the past, but this child actually felt like it happened again in the present. And it really got scary, but I understood my child and I cared about my child and I tried to reach out for help, but nobody understood. They kept, you know, they automatically assume, oh, she just has a problem with mom. You know, she's that age. No, it goes so much deeper than that. And I understand and I try to tell them, you know, this is what's going on. This is what happened. This is what led up to it. And it's very difficult to get people, even people that work with these children, on board and understanding your child. Because they are so different, you know, just like your trauma is different from somebody else's scars and their trauma and their trials. But, yeah. Well, I guess to the system's credit, as you just mentioned, there's so many variables and so many different ways that children can react. There's probably, it's probably impossible to cover all of that, but there, hopefully there's resources that when it does happen that you can reach out. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's probably why you wrote your book. Oh gosh, yes. I mean, they do so many things right and I understand why they began and yes, and they do try to do training. And yes, there's so many things that are good, but there's so many things that need to be fixed and need, you know, need being looked at. But yeah, that's why I wrote my book. Well, there's many reasons. You know, I try to like write down why I wrote my book, but there's so many reasons, you know, for other people to not feel alone in their struggles and know that. Somebody else has gone through this. It's okay. You're going to survive. You're going to be okay. The child's going to be okay. You know, there's so many different things. And to point out to 
to other people that our family is not going to look like other families. It may take on a different face. For example, if you looked at my house rules, you would think, well, isn't she being a little bit too strict and, you know, maybe even a little crazy? But we had to put in, for example, some safety-related rules that other people don't understand. Other people don't have to put in. So when our child is asked for going on an overnight, you know, with a best friend that they've known for four years, well, normal people would say, oh, yes, of course. But we don't do overnights because it brings up their insecurities. It brings up their safety issues that they've had in the past. And it doesn't go well. It just doesn't. And if our child has any tendencies to sexually act out, it can be dangerous for your child. But we can't always tell you that because that would, you know, give away their past and their privacy. Mm -hmm. And and it would give our child a bad name, you know. We don't want to do that to our child. We want to keep our child safe. So we've had a lot of criticism. Well, you don't let your kid do this. You don't let your kid do that. You have security cameras in the hallways. Yes. <laughs> to keep all of our children safe. You know, making sure they're not going in each other's bedrooms, making sure that they're all safe and cozy in bed and tattling. I was brought up. Don't tattle. Don't tattle on your brother. You know, you, your child, your sibling is expected to speak up for themselves. And, you know, it was a bad thing to tattle. And so many families go by that rule. Our rule is you need to tattle because they're so used to keeping it inside. One of our children just didn't ever speak to the point where, like, I would set soccer invitation on the table. And I said, if you want to do soccer this year, let me know. Just tell me that. Say, I want to do soccer. He couldn't do it. I would remind him. Now, you realize all you have to do is say, I want to do soccer. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay. And I would wait, and he would stare at me, and I would say, okay. And I'd walk away, and that child would never verbalize it. And we were trying to teach our children to verbalize their pain and verbalize what somebody else might be doing to them under our own roof, you know. And our child was the the same one had to be the lookout for the child that was doing the bad things, you know, (laughs) carving in the woodwork or something. He was the lookout. We didn't know that because nobody tattled. And they just keep it all inside. And then you find out it's funny in the book, I talk about it. We found out one of the big things that our other child was doing because the hurting child was, it broke a comb. Now, if you found a broken comb amidst camping gear, you would probably think it broke in the bag along the trip. Mm-hmm. You know, you're chucking those bags into the car, you're throwing them in the tent, you know, you're camping. You don't expect a comb to survive, but it was so much more than that. Like, we just knew when to dig deeper, and when it was a broken comb that was a very strong comb, we just knew that there's something underneath this, and sure enough, there was, and it was much 
more important to dig deep than to ignore it. Oh my and God. Just, our family just looks different and people don't always realize that. And they're so quick to criticize. That's so difficult, not only on you, but on the kids because they want to be yeah. like everyone else. And then like any child would say when they think that their parents being too strict, it's like, wow, what's wrong with you? Why are we, why are we not allowed to do this? What a setup, huh? Yes. <laughs> Especially because you have adopted 13. So you've got all kinds of personalities under one roof too. That's, that's a, that's a lot of work for you. Oh yes. We had a good friend an elderly friend that just got such a kick out of the fact that we brought in so many different personalities from so many different backgrounds and it worked. You know, our kids got along, they rarely fought and we were doing very well with them. And it was just, it was beautiful. She just got such a kick out of how beautiful our family was when we just, you know, took one from here and two from there. And, you know, it was, it was really kind of fun. It was really fun. And people ask, you know, why did you adopt so many, especially when you struggled? Well, you know, many times, and I explain it in my book that like we would just be struggling with one. And we didn't want to, I don't know, say no to other children having a future and a childhood and things that they never have because we were struggling with one child. We really felt like we could handle it. And we were young and naive, but we were also young and vibrant and excited about, you know, teaching these children and guiding these children. And we just really thought we could do this and we did very very well there was there was so many successes but just like the success the good reviews and the bad reviews people look at your you know your mistakes or your not success or what they felt like were mistakes mm -hmm. you know they look at the negative instead of all the positives that we did do and i tend to look at the positive because our our like i said our children our families aren't going to look the same and therefore, our children aren't either. You know, success might look differently for our families. Mm -hmm. And like my one daughter, she's not college material. She struggles with the written language. She struggles with, you know, certain things that other people do not struggle with. You know, she's got cognitive delays. And friends and neighbors would say, oh, you should be a nurse because you care about people. Well, I don't want a nurse that guesses what the word says based on the first letter, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> oh, this looks like the right medicine that I give you, <laughs> you know, you want a nurse that can read very well, not at the first grade level. And so success looks differently. You know, when she worked at a part-time grocery store and did well, and all the customers loved her and all the management loved her, you know, that is success. She's bringing home a paycheck. She's learning what working is, and she's learning how to listen to a boss, and she's learning about responsibility and, you know, all of those good things that you learn, accountability. And if she loses her job, which she did, you know, it teaches. It's a good teaching moment. Yes, it looks sad and bad, and 
But that's a good teaching moment. You can't do this at work. You can't do this anywhere. So you got fired. You know, I'm not going to protect my children from regular consequences in life. I'm not going to go to the management and yell at them. Give her another chance. No, these lessons are life lessons that these kids need. You're a good mom. <laughs> can tell. Thank you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. To feel like you need to put yourself on display for criticism or acceptance from anybody. That shouldn't be at all. You, something that that not very many people in the world would even take on. So um, th- there you go. You know how. However, well, that's the f- yeah. yeah, that's the funny part. You know, the criticism wouldn't come from someone who was knowledgeable mm-hmm. or had adopted five children, or it would always come from somebody that didn't have any children, yeah. or somebody that had, you know, an early marriage and one little you know, a tyke that was one year old or, you know, it would always come from somebody that had no idea. Oh, I've always wanted to adopt. Yes, but you didn't. Mm -hmm. And you haven't gone through these struggles and you do not understand. And I will educate you. I will talk about it. And they still look at you like you have 10 heads. (laughs) And that's why I wanted to write it all down in one spot so that people can really get a feel of being in your house. At that moment, you know, and I had one reader say, oh, my goodness, I, I almost felt like I shouldn't be reading it oh. because I was peering in your windows, you know, and, and because I, I'm honest and I want people to understand, you know, this is what daily life looks like. This is what our life looks like annually. <laughs> you know, this is these are the struggles that I had. These are the struggles the kids had. And. I want people to truly get a grasp of life in a home with adopted children. Is 13 crazy? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Probably. But we've only had up to eight at a time in our home. And we purposely sought out the type of life that could handle it. We found a beautiful Victorian. We had extra bedrooms even when we had eight children in the home. Oh, wow. And we had two, one playroom and a, a music room with, you know, every kind of music, musical instrument that you could imagine. We had a classroom. We had, you know, all these extra rooms that normal people don't have, but it, our house could handle that. And so we had, we had a library. <laughs> we had so many extra rooms and it was so much fun. We had some land, not a ton. But we had land so that the kids had a full soccer field. You know, so we set up so that we could take on many children and so that we could just take care of them, not just house them or shove them in a car. I, I know somebody that adopted many children, and, and they never got a bigger vehicle. Mm. They just shoved the youngest child on the floor and, and things like that. And that's, yeah. I don't know, that's traumatizing in itself. How welcoming you. I mean, you really gave this a lot of clear thought and the fact that you found a life partner or your husband to, to join you on this journey. I mean, that's just a beautiful thing too. Yeah, that's crazy in itself. Mm -hmm. But I made sure that when I dated people, if it became serious, which the only time it really did was with him, but I had three prerequisites 
And that was one of them. And people laugh when I say I had three prerequisites, but the fact is those three things I weren't, I was not going to bend on and I wanted out of my life. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that those things weren't compromisable, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of them was that I wanted to adopt a lot of children. Isn't that something that you knew at a very young age? I, I just wonder where that came from. And then it was something that stayed with you. And then, you know, once people start dating and, and their heart starts fluttering when some cute guy comes by, then they think, well, maybe I can compromise on these three uh, issues I have here. Um, but you clearly, I mean, you had this intent from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. That is funny how it just never changed. Wow. There were certain things in my life I just knew, <laughs> and I knew that I wanted one newborn baby, and I didn't know where that was coming from. I just knew I wanted to raise one baby because we we adopted mostly older children that were getting looked, you know, overlooked Past, yeah. because of their different issues or their different traumas or their different medications, and we purposely sought out the children that nobody else wanted. Nobody else was looking at as, you know, part of their family. And, but I knew that I wanted one newborn baby. And sure enough, out of all of our, um, adoptions and all that, we got one baby. (laughs) So it was just kind of funny how those things really came true. (laughs) Well, obviously this was your life path. This was meant to be, this is who you are. And it's What a gift to these children and really to the world as an example. I'm so happy you wrote this book because it gives those who might be considering um, a a, a true view. Because I was going to ask you how your book is different from other books about adoption, but you kind of answered that when you said that, that one reader said she felt like that she was peeking into your window. Obviously, one of the main things that's different about your book is that it's real and it's raw. Yes, and I've had guys that, you know, they're done raising their children. The youngest is in college, and, and he's got no business reading my book. Like, he doesn't, he's not thinking about adoption. He never did, but he really enjoyed the book. And same with somebody else that's retired. He's got no children, and his wife has passed away. He really enjoyed the book. You know, all different types of people really, really get into my book, and they cannot put it down. I've been told that so many times that it just feels so good to know that it's it's out there. And, and somebody called it a powerful story of love, courage, and resilience. You know, people say that they can feel the love in the book. They know, you know, that I really cared about these kids and did the best for them. And it is good to see the different walks of life reading your book. You know, it's not just people that are thinking about adoption. Some of those people can't even handle the truth. They they don't want to hear the truth. Yeah. But I feel like the truth opens your eyes. The truth helps you to know, you know, before you go in with closed eyes, you can anticipate these things and make changes as you see them and as you need. Instead of because the more we do that in life, the more we go into things with our eyes open, the more it means success for these children. Right. It also might keep some people away. I mean, once they read it, it might keep unsuitable or unsuited 
people from pursuing this avenue. Maybe they'll read it and say, you know what, this really isn't for me, which is a good thing then for the child or potential children. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because not to say they'd be a bad parent, but no. maybe they just wouldn't have been able to handle right. the different situations that arise. Yep. And that's okay. You know, not everybody is meant to adopt. It's really got to be a calling. It's really got to be something that's set in your heart. And you have to be together on the page. You and your husband have to agree to the adoption. Mm -hmm. You can't just go along with your partner. Yeah. No, it's it's got to be a united front for sure. And you talked about people that could feel the love in the words of your book. Well, I think People who are listening to this can feel the love in your words as we speak. I mean, I know you're filling my heart just as we speak. So I'm so happy that we've had this opportunity to, to talk about this and get to know you a little bit better. Thank you. And there are funny parts. There's funny things about adopting, like trying to teach your child that just came from a third world country with a stranger about stranger danger. <laughs> And I would explain stranger danger, and then we would role play. And I said, come here, little boy. I've got some candy for you. And his response was, what kind? <laughs> you know, and there are some funny parts where, you know, watching your child stare at automatic doors for 20 minutes because they can't figure out how it opened. And it's really fun. I mean, adoption is not all struggles. And I hope that I put that into my book. And if not, I'll make sure of that in my next book. <laughs> I was just going to ask, what's next? Is there a next book? Oh, yes. I'm working on a few, <laughs> as a good author would. Yep. But I wanted to make sure that certain time passed and I had, oh, I don't know, resolutions in the book or whatnot. But Phoenix Bound 2 is coming out. I'm not sure of the title, but I think I would like it, Phoenix Bound 2. And... Um, a book about my life. A friend of mine really wants a book. You know, why would you have this heart? Who yes. Who made you? What, what made you? And so he wants a book about my life before adopting. And, you know, of course, I'm always looking at making a children's book uh. and things like that. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Oh, a lot going on. And I agree with your friend. I want to read a book about you because that's fascinating to me to try to figure out why and how you knew this at such a young age and why and how you became the person you are today. So you better get yeah. busy, Angie Elliston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I am working on, I'm almost finished with the audiobook for Phoenix Bound, oh, which I did myself. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, you should be. So much beauty in your <laughs> life. Thank you. Are, did we miss anything that you wanted to highlight today? Oh, my. I don't think so, except that maybe the double meaning of my book. You know, people, even my first um, publisher was like, well, your book meaning doesn't make sense. And I said, well, it's a double meaning. Phoenix bound means literally, you know, moving to Phoenix, Arizona, and figuratively rising from the ashes. And I think that's why so many people can read my book and relate, even when they have nothing to do with adoption. That, you know, we all have scars or trials in our life. And how has that affected us? How are we going to overcome them? And this book has spoken to a lot of different people because of that figurative part, you know, rising from the ashes. And my children are all rising from their ashes. 
and we're rising from our ashes from you know the trauma of raising traumatized children mm -hmm. and going through these trials and i think we all are rising from the ashes in one way or another Yes, we are. We're all Phoenix bound in one way or the other. You're absolutely right about that. Wow. Thank you for explaining that. Thank you. All right. Um, why don't we then share, why don't you share any contact information where folks can find out more about you, get copies of your books, wherever you want to take us, please do. Oh, yes, of course. I have an author website and I create videos and blogs to help educate Um and it's www.angkelliston. That's E-L-L-I-S-T-O-N dot com. And yeah, you can find everything on there. And of course, my book is on Amazon and all the book sites that are out there. <laughs> Righty. Okay, so we're talking with Angie Elliston. Her winning book is titled Phoenix Bound. An adoptive mom of 13 shares her struggle raising traumatized children. The website is AngieKElliston.com. Angie, I am just kind of blown away by this beautiful conversation with you. I, I want to do more. So please keep writing and keep sharing with us and just love those children. Thank you.